0: Okay good evening and thank you once again for joining us here on Zoom. Um, This is the third class so the way things have worked out so far was we did a lot of introduction really um, to the concepts, sort of of how the life of Avraham and the other patriarchs and matriarchs are really more than just limited to themselves, limited to their own lives, but as the roots of the Jewish people, of the Jewish nation. So they, their actions, their activities are, first of all, a prophecy to some extent for some of the future events that the Jewish people have experienced and will experience, but also their actions and their accomplishments and maybe even their failures um, imbue us with similar traits and similar abilities so those tests that they've been able to overcome they were able to overcome we are imbued with those powers those abilities to overcome similar challenges and the the character traits that the forefathers and foremothers developed are passed down to us as well and so there are signs of A descendant of Avraham has certain attributes and certain traits. So the most famous trait perhaps of Avraham is his chesed, his acts of kindness. And that's what I wanna focus on tonight. Um, I decided I think the best way to approach this is not always to go chronologically, um, but rather more thematically. So we're gonna see a couple of episodes tonight about, relate to Avraham's chesed is kindness um, and really try to zero in on some insights of you know how 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 is it really done and how deep does it go and uh, try to t- get some takeaways from that and then we'll we'll develop other themes in future weeks again maybe jumping around to different to different events in the life of Avraham so and and the other patriarchs and matriarchs So to that end, I made a little chart Um, It's on the last page of the source sheet, which just shows the uh, really from two Torah portions doesn't go through his entire life because there's a continuation still, but a bunch of a number of of important events in the life of Abraham. And that way we could just and by the way, this is just the order that they appear in the Torah that doesn't, the Torah is not always in chronological order. There are certain events here that according to our sages are out of order chronologically, Um, but this is the order that they appear in the Torah. So we're gonna focus on a couple of these tonight. So we can now go back to really to where we left off. We left off that Avraham had been commanded to travel to sojourn to the land that God would show him, which was the land of Canaan. Avraham arrives in the land of Canaan and there's a famine and he's forced to go down to Egypt. And there, they, there's a whole episode where Pharaoh takes Sarah, Sarah, and Pharaoh is punished for it. And eventually Avraham leaves with great wealth. They, they award Avraham great wealth. And that's basically where, where I want to pick up from um, where Avram's now returning to the land of Canaan. So the verse describes, and this is on the source sheet, it says, and he went on his journeys from the south until base l, until the place where his tent had been previously, between base l and between I." So you'll notice that the beginning of this verse says, and he went on his journeys. In the Hebrew, it's Vayelach Remasa av. He went on his journeys, which is plural. So what does that telling us why is it what does it even mean he went on his journeys plural the malbim one of the great commentaries says what it means is he was kind of traveling around spreading spreading his message he, it was different journeys he just was going from place to place spreading his message rashi quotes from the from the talmud from the gemara the following and it's on the source and he went on his journeys When he returned from Egypt to the land of Canaan, he went and lodged in the inns where he had lodged on his way to Egypt. What it means on his journeys, it means he went back the same journeys he had come in. He went back the same way he had come in order to stay in the same inns that he had stayed on his way down. And says Rashi, this teaches you etiquette or in the Hebrew, derech eretz. This is the way a person should conduct themselves, that a person should not change his lodgings. That's what the Talmud says. The Gemara says, you should go back in the same place that you stayed the first time around. So what does that mean? Why is that so important? Why is that to stay in the same place? Maybe you should spread the love, right? You stayed there in one place last time. You should stay in a different place this time. And maybe that's sometimes true. But the, the message here actually is very, is very important. The, the maharal. In his commentary, Gur Arye, which is his commentary on Rashi, so it's a super commentary, it's a commentary on a commentary, he explains what Rashi means by this. The reason why it is the proper etiquette, it's, it's for somebody to stay in the same places that they stayed the first time around, says the Maharal is because you don't want to spread a bad name about the place that you stayed last time. Now, especially someone like Avraham, who was somewhat well-known, people would notice if he stayed in a different place than he stayed last time. And they might think, oh, that's because he didn't like the place that he stayed the first time around. And that place is gonna get a bad name. That's first of all. Second of all, he says, they might think that it was a problem with Avraham. They might think that Avraham wasn't allowed to stay in the same places because he wasn't a good guest. And so he has to be concerned for his own image as well, which is very interesting. That second point, we're really going to focus on the first point. But the second point is also very important, that, uh, that our own image is important. We don't want people to think that we're bad, that there's something wrong with us when there isn't. Right? That we, we, we want to promote a good image. And uh, this is actually a verse, it's in in the Torah, that we should find favor, not only in God's eyes, but in people's eyes. And that's important not to do things that might look like we're doing something wrong, even. In this case, it's, he didn't want to make it look like maybe he wasn't allowed to stay there anymore. But I think the first point is something to focus on, which is that Avram had this great sensitivity, that he realized, you know, it's it's something that would just Passes most people over. You wouldn't even think about it. That if I choose to stay somewhere else, it might leave a bad name for the place I stayed last time. And uh, but Avram had that sensitivity to consider the repercussions of his choices. Even such a such a simple choice, just to add to the to the equation here. The the commentary the Sav Sofer points out that Avram was much more wealthy now than he had been on his way down, right? Pharaoh Pharaoh enriched him. He gave him lots of riches. So, So the truth is that Avram probably had the ability to stay in much nicer lodgings than he had on his way into Egypt. He now was a very wealthy man. The Pharaoh made him wealthy. And yet he still chose to stay in the same places. And that just speaks to his sensitivity that our actions and our words have an effect, and we don't even necessarily realize. But we, if we're very considerate, then we might realize. You know, We live in an age of reviews and comments. Everything is reviewable. Everything is commentable. Right at the bottom of every article or every post on the internet, there's a room for comments everybody, every business has to be reviewed and uh, and we just have to consider and be just very careful about what we what we say, what we comment, what we review because we you know our choice our our words have repercussions. and it may seem you know, we were a little bit disappointed by this or that, but it's really shouldn't be such a big deal, but we decide, no, I'm gonna leave a comment and that could. Take away business from someone who really is deserving of it. You know they didn't do anything wrong, so so uh, we have to be so careful with our with our comments. The the Chafetz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, was one of the was was the great uh, promulgator. He really reminded the world of this such the, the very very important mitzvah of being careful with our speech of lashon hara. So this there's a story. Where he was, one, he, he himself was extremely careful about this. So he was once traveling, somewhere in Poland, along with another rabbi, and they stayed at an inn. And uh, and the owner of the restaurant realized these were prestigious rabbis, and she served them, you know, carefully and promptly. And after the meal, she asked them, "So, how did you like the food?" So the Chafetz Chaim, Rabbi Kagan, said, "It's very good, excellent. The food was excellent. The other rabbi that he was with, said, yeah, it was it was very good, but it could have used some more salt." So, so the, the woman who owned the the inn, she walked away, and the Chafetz Chaim, he was appalled. His face turned white, and he said, "I can't believe it. How could you say that? All my life, I've avoided speaking." and listening to and Hara, to slander, to evil speech. And now, God made me come with you to this place and I have to suffer by hearing you speak in this way. He says, I regret coming here with you in the first place. I'm so upset, I'm so disappointed. This, if, if I hadn't been here with you, this would never have happened to me. Now, this rabbi was really taking aback. You know, he said, like, what's the big deal? I, all I said was it could have used more salt. I didn't even say something bad. I said it was good. I said it could have used some more salt. So the Chavetz Chaim said, "You don't realize the power of your words." She, that woman who came to us, the owner, the hostess, she doesn't do the cooking. She has someone who does the cooking for her. It's probably a poor widow who uh, who needs the job and needs the needs the money, and. She's probably right now going back to yell at the cook for not cooking well enough for these prestigious rabbis. They were disappointed with your food. She's giving her a hard time right now. You know, she said uh she, she's 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 probably giving it to her. And the poor widow is gonna deny it. She's gonna say, No, no, the food was fine. I tasted it. And then she's gonna tell her that she's a liar, and they're gonna get into a whole fight and for all we know, she could lose her job as a result, and that could ruin her life. Because all you said was that it could use a little more salt. So the rabbi was like, "Come on, you're exaggerating. You know, that's it. It's true, but uh, you know, it could happen. But like, you're totally exaggerating." The Chavetz name said, "You've you've done five things wrong here." He said, "You spoke lashon hara. You caused the owner and myself." to listen to it. You cause the owner to repeat the Lashanghara back to the, she's gone back to the cook to repeat it. You cause the cook to lie in defense and you cause the widow pain and you caused an argument. So look what you've done. So, so, they, so, so they finally agreed they're gonna go checking out. So they went to the kitchen and sure enough, the Chavetz was right. As they opened the kitchen door, they saw that the owner was berating the cook for uh for messing up the food and she was wiping away her tears she was so upset and uh and when this other rabbi saw he rang over he was so he was so taking he was he begged forgiveness he apologized he said he meant to cause no harm he said really no it was fine please let her keep her job and uh i'll pay for for, for you know i'll pay you to let her keep her job and the innkeeper she was she was a kind woman she was just upset by what had happened. And she's like, no, of course it's fine. I just wanted to, to make sure she knows that she has to be careful. That was the end of the story. But it's like the tiniest comment and we don't realize how far it could go. I like to give you know, an example, it's a made up example, but you know, of just how one little comment could, could go so far of a, you, know, you have a workplace, people work together and there's let's say someone whose voice is like a little bit annoying. And you notice it one person notices it and the person points it out to someone else so you know no it could be nobody else noticed it but once one person points it out then other people will start to notice it and find it what find it annoying the way that that person talks and once you start something like that so then eventually someone points it out to the boss and the boss every time this person talks to them is annoyed you know is, is like oh this person's so annoying. And that, that could be the end of that person's job for them. It's like such a little thing. I just said that this person has an annoying voice to one person in the office, but these things can just spiral. And we think it's like a little, little thing, but it can have great, great impact. So, uh, so here we see Avraham very, very sensitive to, his, the, you know, to, to his, the choice of, of his actions. Here he's, he's traveling back. He's, he's a much wealthier person now. He could stay wherever he wants but he chooses to stay in the same place that he stayed on the way. He doesn't want it to look like those places weren't good enough. Those places aren't worth staying because his, uh, because, um, because he's not choosing to stay there anymore. Now, obviously nowadays it's different. Like whether I stay in the same uh, Marriott that like I stayed last time isn't going to really make a difference, but there are examples where, of similar things where it could make a difference. So, uh, so it's an important lesson to, to keep in mind. Now, Abraham, here he was the visitor, but we, Abraham is famously a master host, a master of welcoming guests. And the classic example of this is in last week's Torah portion, the beginning of Vayera, where he's visited by three angels. So I want to actually go through those verses with Rashi's commentary. And we have a number of um, beautiful insights that we can pull from here. So it's on the source sheet number two, Vereshia's chapter 18. And it says, Now the Lord appeared to Avram, by Elav Hashem. Uh, the Lord appeared to Avram, to him in the plains of Mamre, and he was sitting at the entrance of the tent when the day was hot, in the heat of the day, actually. In the heat of the day. So that's the first verse. Rashi comments, and the Lord appeared to him to visit the sick. sad Rabbi Chama, the son of Hanino, is the third day from his circumcision. And the Holy One blessed be, he came and inquired about his welfare. So God is visiting the sick, however we're to understand that. But it's important to note that Avraham was just circumcised three days ago. So he's still recovering. He's still in pain. And uh, so whatever goes on, that's something to keep in mind. He's he's in pain here. Secondly, Rashi says, at the entrance of the tent, so that's where it says that Avraham was sitting at the entrance of the tent. Why was he there? To see whether there were any passers by whom he would bring into his house. So despite the fact that he was just recently um, had gone through this procedure, still he's out there, he's looking for guests, and he's sitting by the entrance to see what passed by. And it says the day was hot. It was a very hot day. So why does the Torah make sure to tell us that? So Rashi explains, the Holy One, blessed be he, God, took the sun out of its sheath so as not to trouble him with the wafers. I mean, God made it very hot that day deliberately so that nobody would be traveling and Avram wouldn't have to deal with guests because he was recovering. God said, why don't you just stay in bed? But since he saw that he was troubled, that no wafers were coming, he saw Abraham, it's not just that he, if a guest happened to come, he would take him. He was troubled. He was, he was out there looking. He really wanted to, to bring in guests. He brought the angels to him in the likeness of men. So since God saw that Abraham really wanted guests, so he brought him guests. Okay, continuing on, we're going to read through the whole thing, I think, and then we'll go back and share insights. Reading on number two, and he lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, three men were standing beside him and he saw and he ran toward them from the entrance of the tent and he prostrated himself to the ground so rashi says and he saw why is and he saw written twice in this verse so you'll notice in the verse it says and he lifted his eyes and saw and behold three men were standing beside him and he saw and he ran toward him why does it say and he saw twice So Rashi explains, the first is to be understood according to its apparent meaning, i.e., and he saw. And the second means understanding. You know, like people say, I see what you're saying. He saw, meaning he understood. He observed that they were standing in one place, and he understood that they did not wish to burden him. And although they knew that he would come out toward them, they stood in their place out of respect for him to show him that they did not wish to trouble him. And he went out first and ran toward them. So Rashi says that the second and he saw his understanding, understanding they were trying not to trouble him. And uh, and so he went anyways. He ran out to try to, to greet them. Verse three, and he said, My lords, if only I have found favor in your eyes, please do not pass on from beside your servant, meaning, please come, please come in. And verse four, please let a little water be taken and bathe your feet and recline under the tree. So Rashi comments, Please let a little water be taken. Through a messenger, meaning the, 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 the um, grammar here, the conjugation is not, and he took water, it's let it be taking, implying that it was through a messenger. He asked a messenger to bring water, and the Holy One, blessed be he, rewarded his, Avraham's children through a messenger, as it is said, and Moses raised his hand and he struck the rock. So just as Avraham gave the servant, the, the, the guests, water through a messenger... So in the desert, God will provide the Jewish people with water, but that will be through a messenger, meaning through the rock, as opposed to the manna, which com- came directly from heaven. We'll get into that more probably if we have time later. But that, that's kind of a side point, but we, there's an, an interesting insight that I want to share if we have time. So, uh, okay, fine. So then he sa- it says, and bathe your feet. So he invited them and he said, bathe your feet. He thought that they were Arabs who prostrate themselves to the dust of their feet. And he was strict not to allow any idolatry into his house. Fine. But it wasn't so strict. Fine. But Avraham would not allow idolatry into his house. So here, actually, I want to pause just to make one important point. Avraham is the master of chesed, of kindness. He's the master of welcoming guests. Right. He's and 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 we'll know We'll take note that he's running. Right. He's he ran toward them. He ran here. He ran there. It's going to keep repeating. He's getting all the best food for them. So what kind of a host is he insisting that they wash the idol- their idolatry off of their feet? Right? Let, them, let them do their thing, right? But no, that's, that's not, there's, there's a line to be drawn, which is what's, what's OK and what's not. So although he's the best host in the world, but he's not going to allow idolatry. Into his house there's that's not okay here that we're going to wash off before you coming i love to have you but there's there's limits here so even even the best host has to know what's acceptable and what's and what's not okay verse five and i will take a morsel of bread um morsels maybe not the best word pass i think it says a, a loaf of bread and sustain your hearts afterwards you shall pass on because you have passed by your servant and they said so shall you do as you have spoken and Avram hastened to the tent to Sarah and he said hasten three saw of meal and fine flour and knead and make cakes and to the cattle did Abraham run and he took a calf tender and good and he gave it to the youth and he hastened to prepare it and he took cream and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he placed them before them and he was standing over them under the tree and they ate. So Avram's running here, running there to get everything ready for his guests. So we see absolutely that Avram, despite his pain, despite that it was the heat of the day, he sees guests and he's so excited. He just, he lives for this. He wants to take care of them and he's running and he's running to do so. So so the, the, what we see, we see here, You know, different people can approach a mitzvah like chesed, like kindness, like having guests in different ways. For some people, we say, listen, it's what I'm supposed to do, so I'll do it. But someone like that, you know, if, if that's our approach, I, I'll do it because I'm supposed to do it. So then if I have a good excuse not to do it, then I'm not gonna do it, right? If I'm recovering, if uh, if it's really hot, if I'm a little uncomfortable, right? So so then I'm I'm probably not gonna do it. I give in sort of easily to the to the excuses or the situation. That's not how Avraham was, though. That's how most people are, but that's not how Avraham was. Avraham, he was certainly exempt from this. He was, you know, God, we saw the verse says. The, the Rashi comments God was to uh, make it hot so that nobody would show up. But he saw that Abraham he couldn't handle that. He lives for this. This was his life, doing acts of kindness. And what's the point without of life without helping others? So he said. So therefore he went above and beyond. I don't I don't care. It's hot today. I'm in pain. But this is what I live for, and therefore he he's he's out there, he's looking and uh and God helps him in ensuring that uh that he has uh he has guests, and that's you know again, we don't have to be we we can aspire to be like Abraham, when will my deeds reach the deeds of Abraham? We may not never quite reach there but uh but the idea that we should try to have. These, you know, these con these ideas make them assimilate them within ourselves. Make them what we live for. That's what Avraham teaches us here. Where does he get the uh, the the spirit to to run like that in in this difficult situation? The answer is that that's that's his nature. That's that's what he that's what he lives for. You know, a person um you know if there's something really good that they want so they'll run for it they'll run for it if uh if need be but uh avram was like that for for chesed for kindness that uh that was his nature his uh, some people's nature is to run for ice cream avraham ran for avram right ice cream you cream, we all scream for ice cream but avram screamed for Chesed, for having guests. And so he would run. That's that's what came automatically out of him when uh, when he had the opportunity. The the Ali of Shlomo Volbi, he points out that the Hebrew word for running, which is rats, is the same root as the Hebrew word for want, which is roze, to want something, because we run for what we want. That's what we run for. And here you see Avraham running and running and hastening and running and hastening for what he wants. He wants the, to, to be able to do acts of kindness, to bring in guests in this situation. The act of running, of course, is the attribute of alacrity or zeal to, 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 to run to do something, to run to do good, to do it with alacrity. So in the path of the just, Masilas Yasharim, Moshe Chaim Utsato has a a couple of chapters really about this this trait, I want to read a little bit together from there, it starts off talking about Avraham so it's number three on the sources on page two, and he writes, likewise, this is line 16, likewise you will observe that all the deeds of the tzaddikim, the righteous, are always performed with haste. By Avraham, it is written, and Avraham hastened into the tent of Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. And he gave it to the lag, and he hastened to prepare it. And a few more times, it says, and he ran, and he ran, and he hurried. By Rivka, she hastened and emptied her pitcher in the trough. Eventually, we'll, God willing, talk about Rivka also and her hasting, her, her amu- really following in the ways of, of Avraham. You can see, he says, this is line 19, that a man whose soul is a fire in the service of his creator certainly will not become lazy in doing the mitzvot. Rather, his movements will be like the quick movements of fire, for he will not rest nor be still until he has finished completing the deed. So if a person has passion within them, like Avraham did, then you run. You run to do it. You run to do mitzvot. You run to do kindness. But Mesilas Yasharim tells us that What do we do if we don't have that inner passion or if it's not there? So he says, run anyways. He says in line 20, reflect further that just like an inner fieriness of soul leads one to act with zeal. So to the opposite, outwardly acting with zeal leads to an inner fieriness of the soul. Namely, when one feels himself performing a mitzvah with great swiftness, this will move his inner being to kindle a flame also. And the desire and want will increasingly intensify within him but if he acts in a sluggish manner in the movement of his limbs so too the movement of the spirit will die down and extinguish this is something experience can testify to so messiah says experience can testify that if a person doesn't feel that passion for a mitzvah they can develop it and one way to develop it is actually to just run to do it you can Running to do a mitzvah is an outcome of an inner passion, but also if you don't have the inner passion, if you run, if you show the outward, um, the, 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 uh, if you act in an outward way as if that passion is there, that will actually help develop that passion inside. He says, experience can testify to that. Yi Wang, he says, you already know that what is most desired in the service of God, may his name be blessed, is desire of the heart and longing of the soul with action. Doesn't mean it's not—it's not just to, to long to do things and to and to desire to do things, but that—but what he means is when we do our actions, when we do our mitzvot. So God wants our heart with it. He doesn't want just uh, just bland, you know, emotionless, passionless performance of mitzvot. He wants us to be to be into them. So, okay, he shows that King David and Psalms in a number of places alludes to this. And then in 22, again, he comes back to this idea. But for a man in whom this longing does not burn as it should, a good advice for him is to act with zeal by force of will in order that this will bring an inner awakening of this longing in his inner nature. For the external movement rouses the inner ones, and certainly the external movement is more in his power than the inner ones. What he's pointing out is that sometimes, you know, we say you should, you should be passionate about the mitzvah. Okay, but I'm not. So what do you want me to do about it? I can't control whether I'm passionate or not. I can try to work on it. But, but right now, today, either I'm passionate or I'm not. What am I supposed to do? But I can control my limbs. I may not be able to control my heart, but I can tr- control my limbs. I can control whether I hurry to do the mitzvah. I can control the way that I perform the mitzvah. And he says that because you have control over that, so, so, so take advantage of that. Use that which is in your control. Thus, if he exercises what is in his power to do, this will lead him to also attain what is not in his power. Then you'll attain that passion, for an inner joy will awaken within him and the desire and longing through the power of acting fiery externally by the force of will. If we act passionately, we will develop an inner passion. This is what the prophet said let us know, let us run to know the Lord. And after they will go, who shall roar like a lion? So I guess he's saying that, um, you know, we should run like to run to serve. and then it's a, I mean it's a much later chapter, but he maybe is connecting these after they go, then you'll roar like a lion. meaning then you'll have the passion within you. So a very important concept that applies in many situations really, not not specifically to this trait, but certainly with the trait of of alacrity and Pashing in in mitzvah performance is that even if we don't feel the inner passion, but if we externally demonstrate it, display it, that can actually help us develop it inside. That's the lesson of the Mesilasi Asharam. Avraham, of course, what you know wasn't just displaying externally. Avraham had it, had it assimilated within him. This was who he was. And as a result of that, he was able to run after this this mitzvah, this commandment. Um, now let's go back to the um, source two. Um, sorry, so yeah, source two, verse two. So we read in the verse, he lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, three men were standing beside him, and he saw, and he ran toward them. So we noted before we read Rashi, Rashi points out that it says, and he saw twice. So why does it say twice in the same verse, and he saw, and he saw? So Rashi said, the first is the simple meaning, he saw the three men, the three angels, and the second is that he understood, Rashi elaborates. He understood that they didn't want to burden him. He understood why they were standing there. Um, Rav Shach explained, based on this Rashi, that within this Rashi is a major fundamental point about, about chesed, about kindness and pursuing it. We say, says actually the, the prophet to um, which we just read a verse from. No, that was Hosea. The prophet Micha says that he attributes chesed to Avraham, that chesed goes with Avraham, as we've been saying. So what says Rav Shach, right here, we see this sort of the source of Avraham's chesed. In what way? He says many people see, but only special individuals contemplate. Understand, try to understand, try to delve into what is actually going on and what's needed. We see lots of people see people, and uh they see people who could, could use a, a helping hand, could use a, a chesed, an act of kindness, but we kind of gloss over it, we don't really consider it well enough. Oh, or maybe we rationalize, we justify. No, actually they'll be fine, they don't really need help, right. Again, that's where the zeal comes in. You you act, you act right away. But Rashi, but 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 here, Avraham, it's a two-step process. He saw and he understood. He looked at them, he saw they were any, They were trying to avoid that. Rashi says they were trying to just stand to the side and make it look like they didn't really need anything. They didn't want to burden him. But no, he saw. Now what's fascinating is that they, they didn't actually need they were angels, but for all he knew. Is that they were men, and uh, and that they were travelers. They were wayfarers, and they needed they needed a meal, and so he hurried to 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 let to let them in. So says Rav Shach, This is a fundamental concept, it's one of the, the the basics of Chesed, precursor somewhat, is the ability to see and then to contemplate and to understand and to to realize when someone has a need and not just first of all. To to be able to recognize it, but also I think often people will will just try to rationalize why actually they don't really need my help, and we do we we do this all the time. I do it all the time. I can tell you, right? It's fine. You know, they'll be fine. They don't really need me. But uh, but that's what we're reminding here of. No, 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 really think about it. Maybe they they really need need a helping hand. Um, if we go to verse four. So there's an interesting insight over here. So here it says, please let a little water be taken. So he said, and we pointing out, Rashi said, through a messenger. Now, it's not clear why the water was brought through a messenger, but it was. Now, the, the commentaries ask, you know, Avraham here is being so generous, he's, you know, All this flour and cakes and a calf and milk and cream and all this good stuff. And here he says, please let a little water be taken. Ma'at mayim, a little water. Why is he skimping on the water? Why does it say take a little water? Take a lot of water. So. So Rabbi Yaakov Naiman answers that perhaps the reason is because everything that he was preparing himself, maybe with the help of his family, they were all, you know, they were the hosts. So that he, he, he was very generous with. But the water, again, I'm not sure why he had a messenger bring it, but he had a messenger bring it. So he didn't want to burden the messenger too much by saying, bring a lot of water. So again, we see the sensitivity where something that I'm going to do myself, you know, we as the hosts are doing ourselves, so we can, we're going to go all out, but here, but for the water, he had to ask a messenger to bring it. And so he's not going to tell the messenger to lug, you know, a, a bar, you know, buckets full of water. That's, that's, that's on, that would be him doing kindness on, you know, on somebody else's uh, calculation, you know, that. My kindness is my kindness. I can't expect someone else to do my kindness for me. So if he wants to be very generous, he could be very generous on his own terms. But, uh, but to be generous on someone else's, that's, that's a different story. So, so the water, which he needed a messenger to bring, he says, you know, bring a little bit of water, and that will, that will suffice. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the great uh, founder, really, of the, of the Musser movement um, from the I guess 19th century was again in a similar, t- he was traveling as Mangi did in those days and he was at an inn and uh, and they brought him water to wash his hands for before he was gonna eat. I think I, I assume it was before he was gonna eat bread, maybe in the morning. In any event, when he washed his hands he used much less water than he was accustomed to using kind of the bare minimum. Now, even though usually he was stringent about this to make sure that there was you know, plenty of water to fulfill the mitzvah in the best possible way. Here, he certainly did it in a way that was sufficient to fulfill the halacha, but he kind of did it in the most minimalistic way. And the reason that he explained was for the same reason. He said, you know, the, the person drawing the water is probably either an orphan girl or a widow or someone, you know, that's that's often who, who who's the, the water carrier, the water drawer in, in, in a place like this. So I'm not going to be so strict today about, uh, about, about this. Now he did certainly did it enough to fulfill it, but he's not going to be like you know the most strict. Today's not the day to be the most strict on that. So he, he, uh, he used a little less water than he was accustomed to using. And that's perhaps what Avram was doing as well. All the other things he and his family were preparing, they were the hosts but the, the water he had to have a messenger bring. And therefore he uh, he and therefore he didn't want to ask for so much. That was on somebody else's calculation, someone else's terms. So again, that shows that sensitivity, where in this case, we a person might want to do a kindness, but you have to realize who you're affecting when you're doing a kindness. If if it's you, but you're also dragging other people in, and maybe they're not ready for that or they or they're, you know. They have other things that, they, that they're doing. So we just have to be sensitive to that. Now, in that same Rashi, again, still in verse four, Rashi quotes a little bit of a passage in the Talmud, but I put the rest of that passage on number four or, or a larger part. So let's look at number four. Um, Talmud Bava 86b. Rabbi Yehuda says that Rab says, every action that Avraham performed himself for the ministering angels for these visitors, the holy one, blessed be he, performed himself for Abraham's descendants. And every action that Abraham performed through a messenger, the holy one, blessed be he likewise performed for his descendants through a messenger. So the, the, the Talmud there continues and it gives different examples, but basically, you know, the food that Abraham prepared himself. So in the so for his descendants in the desert, God sent directly man mana which was direct from God, but the water, which he only got through the messenger, God didn't give directly in the desert. God sent a messenger to give the Jews water in the desert, which was the rock from which they drew water. The Gemara has different, some other examples, but that's, that's the basic intent of this Gemara. So first of all, this comes back to the idea that the actions of Avraham are a, prophecy, a prelude to what's going to happen to their descendant, to his descendants. His, this event affects what happens in the desert. But it's kind of strange because we keep saying Avram was a master of chesed, a master of kindness. He loved welcoming guests, right? So seemingly this was not the only time that he had guests over, right? In fact, we learned that passage in the Talmud last week where where we learned that whenever Avram would have guests, when they got up to go, they would try to thank him. He would say, don't thank me. Thank the one who gave it to to all of us. Thank God. And that way he would teach them to to recognize God's goodness. But so Avram had guests all the time. So why this event out of all the events? One time he, he brought food directly so he got so. So as a result of that, they got man directly from God, and he, but the water he didn't do directly. He got it through a messenger. So the water in the desert came through came through a messenger. Like what's special about this event? There were many times that Avram had guests, and I'm sure some of those times he brought the water himself, and maybe even some of those times he had some of the food brought through a messenger. What's unique about this time that this was the event that dictating how it was going to play out in the desert. So Rabbi Yosef Salat explains that the that this was different than all the other times. This time, Avraham, like we said, had just been circumcised. He was in pain. It was a boiling hot day. God made it extra hot so that nobody would show up. And there's Avraham running around to bring them food. This was not an ordinary event of serving guests. This was Avraham going above nature to serve guests. It's above human nature. Like we said, a normal person in such a situation would have just said, I'm excused, I'm taking the day off. But Avraham, no, Avraham is out there. He, he's desperate to have guests, he's running around. And really what he's doing is above, above, above nature, beyond nature but we have that ability sometimes to go beyond nature. Could call it um, adrenaline, but uh, but sometimes we, we can do things that we never knew we were capable of. And maybe in normal physical scientific terms, we're not really capable of it, but it's possible for a human to go beyond their normal capabilities when, when called upon. But that's what Avram did here. Avram went above nature. That's why this is the event that's going to dictate what's going to happen in the desert. Because the, the, the sustenance that the Jewish people receive in the desert is above nature. That's, they're in a, a, a barren desert. There's no food. There's no water. And God is going to provide that to go beyond, to go above nature with the man and the water from the rock in a miraculous way. So that's why specifically this, this event where Avram goes... Beyond nature is the prophecy, the premonition, the precursor to God providing above nature in the same manner to the Jewish people in the desert. I have a so question. Yeah, please. Um, uh, you uh, yourself. The, huh? Okay, start over. Go ahead. Okay, I've heard that most of the um, aside from his. Um, compassion for people a lot much of the reason he was serving guests like that was so he could get word out of um the one god that was yeah actually that passage in the talmud was i don't know if it's if that's the reason but i think they go together which is also a very important idea which is Abraham wants to help people right he wants to give people the best life so you can help a person physically and materially, and you can help a person spiritually. So it all came from his love for people and, and his love for God. But he, but both his his endeavors to help people with you know, feeding them, providing them with the place to stay, etc., and his providing them with spiritual sustenance, knowledge of God, all comes from the same place. It all comes from his deep desire and love of other people yeah. and uh and desire to help them. Okay. So I don't know if we know that we would say that that's why he did it, but when he did it, he took advantage of the opportunity to teach them. You know, don't thank me, thank God. Okay. Okay. Just to wrap things up with one more, one more idea. So, again, we're we're working a little bit out of order of of Avram's life, but at this point, um, right after the angels leave. So then one of those angels is going to destroy the city of Sodom. Sodom is a place of evil. Sodom is a place where they treat people terribly. Certainly guests are treated terribly. Um, the, The angels go to the city, two angels, and they look like men. And Lot invites them in, which is totally against the rules of the city. You don't invite guests in the city of Sodom. And when the people realize this, they try to pound down the door and they say, send them out here. So uh, so this is, you know, the Talmud goes through all sorts of terrible things that they would do in Sodom and uh, and talks about this girl that was killed because she I guess They they totally didn't tolerate such things. And God says, that's it. I'm destroying Sodom. So what is Avraham's reaction? God says, I have to tell Avraham what I'm going to do. And, uh, and so let's read together in source five. Um, and the Lord said, shall I conceal from Abram what I am doing? And the Lord said, skipping some verses here, but since the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah has become great, and since their, son, their sin has become very grave, I will descend now and see whether according to a cry which has come to me, they have done. I will wreak destruction upon them, and if not, I will know. Okay, we're not going to in, you know go into all exactly what the verses are saying but god's basically saying i'm going to i'm getting ready to destroy Sodom, but i'm going to tell avraham about it before and avram approached and said will you even destroy the righteous with the wicked perhaps there are 50 righteous men in the midst of the city will you even destroy and not forgive the place for the sake of the 50 righteous men who are in its midst far be it from you to do a thing such as this to put to death the righteous with the wicked so the righteous should be like the wicked far be it from you Will the judge of the entire earth not perform justice? So Avram is pleading on behalf of Sodom. Maybe there's 50 righteous people. Save the city because of those 50 righteous people. He's really pleading on behalf of five cities. that are all part of this general area. The Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous men within the city, I will forgive the entire place for their sake." The so guy agrees, but unfortunately, there are not 50 righteous people there. So Avram answered and said, so I didn't include the whole verse, but he says, what well, if there's 45? And then he says, what well, if there's 40? Going to verse 30 here. And he said, please let the Lord's wrath not be kindled, and I will speak. So Abram's actually a little nervous now because he's begging God. And he's saying, God, don't be angry with me. Let me let me continue to speak. I know I'm I'm you know, I'm pushing it. Don't be angry with me. Let me keep talking. Perhaps 30 will be found there. And God said, I will not... I will not do it if I find 30 there, but there aren't 30 righteous people there. And again, 31, he says, and he said, and he says, what if there's 20? And 32, and he said, please let the Lord's wrath not be kindled. And I will speak yet this time. So he's, again, he's nervous. He's saying, you know, let me speak one more time. What if there perhaps there are 10? God says, I will not destroy for the sake of the 10, but there aren't 10. And the rest is history. God ends up destroying Sodom. But what Rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky points out an amazing thing here. He says, this follows immediately after the angel's visit with Avraham. We have here an amazing contrast. Avraham, who excels in inviting guests versus Sodom, who are the antithesis of this. They are the opposite. They, they're just terrible people to each other and do not have guests at all, Sagra. Um, in fact, there's an idea. You know, three angels go to visit Avram. One went to visit. One went to tell him and Sarah that they were going to have a child. One went to heal Avraham. and the third one went to destroy Sodom. So, why was he stopping? Why was he stopping at Avraham's on the way? If he was, if the third angel was, was his mission was to destroy Sodom, why is he going to Avram's house first? So some say because God wanted him to see the contrast. Before he went to, to Sodom, he might, you know, he, get, he might get to Sodom and say, listen, God, these are human beings. What do you expect from them? Why should I destroy them? You yourself say that, that man is flawed. Can we really expect better of them? So God says, I have, I have a stop for you to make on the way. I want you to see what a human being is capable of becoming. Go look at Avraham. And then when you get to Sodom, you'll realize, how, how flawed they are and, and, and how short they've come of what, of what a person is really capable of, come, of becoming. So sort of related to that idea, you know, Avraham is the total opposite of Saddam. He excels in kindness and Saddam is the worst of the worst. It's a person's nature when they excel in a certain mitzvah or certain trait that when we see others, who fail in this way it frustrates us it's like what's wrong with those people you know why can't they do it the way i do it why can't they have the same you know midah, the same trait as i do why can't they perform the mitzvah the same way i do and it frustrates us and we wonder especially avram he was the master of acts of kindness it should have bothered him so much that the sodomites treated each other so terribly and maybe it did but but even still Avraham goes all out on their behalf he doesn't say if they're not if they're such terrible people they have it coming they deserve it you know doesn't say that he prays for them he prays for them so much that he even says god please don't be angry with me a couple times right he's he's going all out on their behalf And he says, this, this says Rabbi Kamanetsky, this just shows us how great this man really was. This just shows us how how far his what level Avram was able to achieve. That this is and even someone who didn't excel so much in this trait, you know, may not have prayed for them like this. But but someone who's total opposite, it's so hard to try to, to to understand them. They're so foreign to him. And yet still, he says. I would still rather see them, you know. He, I guess he sees hope in them. He sees he sees a hope. God says no. There's no hope for them. And in the end, you know, God is God is the ultimate uh, judge, and God judged them. And we don't question God's judgment. But Abraham, Abraham first desperately prays to God, tries to get bring merit for them, tries tries to save them. And this just shows how far-reaching. Avraham's sensitivity his kindness is that even those who are totally different from him he still prays for them he still hopes for them and uh, and is really even sort of putting himself at risk god please don't be angry at me for this so Abraham is 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 a uh, excellent example of 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 kindness and sensitivity he's sensitive in the in in and understanding the repercussions of his actions just some, something as simple as where he's going to stay in his travels. He's careful with that so as not to cast aspersions on places that he has stayed previously, reminding us to just be so careful with our actions and words of how they can impact others. Abraham yearns to do, re- to do good, and that passion is demonstrated in his, in his running to do good as he as he performs acts of kindness. At the same time, he's sensitive to a messenger, you know, bring only a little bit of water because that's not me. That's that that's someone else who's who's doing it. And uh, and and it's all because he's able to to zone in, he sees he sees a need and he, he doesn't just see, but he contemplates and he recognizes when there's a need. And finally, he uh, despite that he excels in this. He's still willing to engage with those and 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 respect those who haven't quite reached his level. And even those who are so opposite to him, he's still able to respect them and desires that and feels that they still deserve deserve life. And therefore, he prays for Saddam. Stop there.